Hello and welcome to another episode of the Unfinished Covey podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with my brother, Nick Randall. This was recorded after we uh, had a, for me, very early morning, for him very late at night, uh, catch up Zoom call. Uh, I had mentioned him, I wanted to have him on my podcast and, and he sort of prepared a little bit to talk about. It's a it's a great conversation. Uh, it starts without a proper introduction, as you will notice shortly. Um, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Jijek is kind of a. I guess he's a bit like Jordan Peterson. He's oh, yeah? but he's a bit like he's more. He is an actual philosopher, whereas Jordan Peterson is kind of just a psychologist. Um, who got famous because he was controversial. Jack mm. is kind of a rock star philosopher. Like he's kind of okay. synonymous with the rise of the web. And he's um, he's just critical of everything. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. So he's, he's kind of cool. So this is his someone's interpretation of him criticizing Buddhism. Um, uh, well, not Buddhism, but kind of, so Sam Harris, I don't know if you've heard of Sam Harris. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I've watched a fair right. bit of his debates with Jordan Peterson, in fact. Ah, okay. That's probably the um, only reason I know him. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my friends really likes Sam Harris and he's done he's got the waking up app and he sort of he really Sam Harris is really critical of religion, but then he says, you know, we need it essentially we need a secular religion because there's good stuff there. Um yeah. and um so this criticism of it is basically saying that maybe it's just like, is it, is it just making you feel better, which um, is the same as taking, like if there was a chemical that did that, then there'd be no difference sort of thing. Um, it, it, wait, is, does what make you feel better? Well, is meditation, I mean, like he's saying that. Oh, some degree meditation is just well here he compares it to um essentially like a kind of like sexual like a little device you use for sexual gratification like um right just make okay. you feel better just like it's like capitalism makes you stressed all the time so we need a way to deal with that so we have now buddhism which which helps with that Okay, so there's some physiological effect that occurs if we can just uh, simulate that chemically or in some other way, isn't that all it is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Buddhism is supposed to be about like understanding the, the nature of reality as suffering essentially and accepting suffering. And he's sort of saying that, you know, just spending a lot of time breathing and stuff Kind of just makes you feel better um and yeah it's a little bit over the top the article but um like jijek is kind of a marxist or he's definitely like a capital like he's a he's against capitalism mm -hmm. uh, or he's he's critical of capitalism mm -hmm. highly critical and um like he has he talks about like um like the, he's he's also freudian so he talks about like um why do, like he's he, he's he doesn't take for he doesn't like this idea of 
of capitalism, which is like, you do what you want. Like if people buy something, it's because what's what they want. So, you know, we, we sort of, the, the last, like the, the central moral question is what do people want? Do you want to do that or not? Right. Um, so if you buy it, if you buy it, it means it's worth something because you bought it. And he sort of like, he really has this like psychoanalytic perspective where he says like, do people even want the things that they want? Like one of his favorite things is like, um, <laughs> the man who who's having an affair and he's got this tension mm -hmm. of like, I've got my wife and I love her, but then I've got my affair and I'm, I, I'm so lustful and exciting. And, and he said like, in his fantasies, he wants this, like he wants to resolve the tension and just like leave with the, with the lover. Mm -hmm. But it's actually the state of being in, in between the sort of the anxiety and the, the, the sort of desperation and, and the sort of passion. And that's what makes him happy. Um, yeah. I, um, I ref reflected on that kind of stuff a lot last year. I did a lot, um, of work for a while I was really focused on building uh the brand of co-creations and going which is why I started the podcast that's where the idea came from mm -hmm. I did a lot of work though you do like your mission statement and your vision statement and I actually said this in another podcast like the thing is it's it's my company and it's you know built around you know what I love and how my life is and stuff like that so it also was a big question of like who am I and what am I about which is something I've always struggled with a lot and I read a lot last year of um Demartini stuff have you come across him at all um I think his stuff informs a lot of what they do at elemental formations the kind of underlying thing there that's where angel works making the crystal lamps and they sort of oh, okay. I'm admire them for a number of reasons one being that they've always been really clearly values focused in everything they do like that's mm -hmm. that's what motivates um the couple that started and they've got this framework called uh no, it's escaping my mind right now but also the fact that they grew from like one employee to 40 and like multiple outlets and just massive in in one year impresses okay. me really yeah um but yeah anyway one of the de martini's books is called the values factor and um and also this process because i they invited me along they, they they put on workshops for all their staff at elemental formations to to learn this particular derivative of his stuff, which I can't think of the name of right now. Wow. Yeah. But in, in both cases, uh, like the process for figuring out your values, which is what it is, is about writing down like what you spend time thinking about, what you spend your money on, what you talk to other people about, what you use your technology for. And the point of it is, yeah, what you're actually doing is what you value, mm -hmm. whatever narrative you have around that of, oh, I wish I was this and this, like, actually we're, you know, we're quite free agents and we do do what we choose to do. And so you need to, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. And I, I, you might know there's a philosopher who talks a lot and has like a good way of categorizing those two distinct levels or forms of desires. That one, which is like, I aspire to be this particular human that I'm going to meditate for an hour every day and then exercise for an hour. And I'm not going to have a cigarette today or I'm drink tonight and I'm going to make sure I help my fellow man. And then the one that gets up and is like, oh man, actually I'm sleeping for another hour and instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are two, you know, those are both desires within my being. But one is of this idealized version. One is, yeah. And I, I don't know, that also, I guess, ties into mm-hmm. just instant gratification versus delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And you know the marshmallow experiment? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be like the what was strongest predictor for all kinds of success. Right. I get what you're saying. So you're saying like, yeah. Sometimes some, what you're saying is that you it's about teasing out like a deeper um a deeper desire or something like rather than just I, sort of staying in these patterns of how you already live. unconscious unconscious living versus more conscious i guess i don't know personally i i don't know the right or i don't have a reconciliation for those two mm-hmm. things yeah and it, was interesting doing a lot of those processes last year and going, all right, this that you're spending time on, this is what you value. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, going through the process is definitely good. Um, reflecting, I think, is good. I think the point in this article was like, um, um, you know, try like kind of trying to come up with a spirituality that people like. He talks about the the people at Davos, you know, this like economic forum, mm-hmm. um, inviting along a Buddhist, and then everyone sort of practicing, and then like it, and it's like, um, it's like you're trying to find something that won't disrupt. You know, you're trying to find uh, a spirituality that is about reflection, but that doesn't disrupt the economic order. Mm. Right? Mm. So it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. It, it was, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, because I was thinking about it too, like with the individual, like this is sort of the work-life balance thing is like, um, is sort of like in a way it's this really positive development. Like we, we have um, gone from, you know, this really traditional society where we all followed roles and, you know, that was determined by your gender and, there weren't a lot available anyway. You were, you sort of, you know, provider for your family or you were the, took care of the kids. Um, and that's like really not cool anymore. So what is sort of becoming central is like, what do you want as a person? 
So mm. it is it is a good thing, sort of. Like, um, it is a good thing that we aren't so determined by sort of capitalism's needs because we can, you know, be more flexible at work. You can have, there's also things like, well, Germany is really good with like maternity leave. Like you have like a year, which you sort of get completely off and it's all paid for, um, you know, that's really good. And that's really good for balancing out the needs. Like you're all, it's like not just all about money. It's like for a while, we're going to value yeah. child rearing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's really cool. Um, and that can be like a political thing. It can be like, you know, it shouldn't, women shouldn't only have this role as caretakers. Um, but the, you know, th those things should be balanced out more. Men should be able to take care of kids. Um, the family should be valued, not just as a sort of an economic thing, which allows the men to keep working, but also as on its own merit sort of thing. But um, like the other side of individualism is um, like, if you, um, I just I wrote this thing down, I wanna read it again. Um, so so you, you prepped for us to have a philosophical podcast discussion that's what you asked for yeah yeah thank you yeah. cool so right. maybe maybe i will do a mini one of of this conversation as just All a right. teaser of a snippet future more in depth okay. ones as well but um yeah right well yeah so what were we going to say read no please read it okay so um well I'll, I'll read it then yeah so the problem is or why we should at least be skeptical of accepting um, let me just backtrack for a sec. So so yeah, okay, so if that's if you're talking about a political sort of ideal of like placing you know the needs of the individual, the needs of the family back at the center and that sort of disrupting the economic imperative, that's a good thing. Um, but like it's worth asking why is the needs of the individual so important to begin with so that's sort of what i was talking about with jijek it's like do you really like is is what i do or is what i want as an individual should that really be the central thing like the central moral concern um well that's because that's a relatively new idea right like it is it is it's like it's liberalism it's like the individual is okay the center. yeah 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 and so uh, do you know um where, where's uh where's the origin of liberalism how how long have we sort of had that as a really interesting. i'm reading a book about it that dad sent me um so it's it's come out at like so say, if you want to be a starting point, say um, the sort of religious struggles in England in like the 1500s. All right. Um, yeah. At this first time that people were starting to sort of express these ideas um, about like the state not um, determining for people, because there was a lot of political upheaval and stuff. And it was, it was like, um 
yeah, there was a lot of back and forth between Catholics and Protestants and um, the the press. Also, the press came out at the time. So the printing press. Right. Yeah. I, okay, cool. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, is that like Luther then as well? Which, of course, mm -hmm. it is. And yeah, Luther so Luther is, is, yeah, obviously also part of it, the Reformation. Yeah. Um, but that was where some of these ideas were first expressed. And then if you fast forward a bit to, so yeah, the, these articles, they were bringing out these pamphlets where people were starting to express radical ideas. There was even ideas like, you know, people were still accepting the idea of kings. Like there wasn't like, let's rule the country ourselves. That was a bit too radical, but it was about like limiting power. And that there was actually models for that in, in, in England at the time already where there was a kind of a parliament that had a little yeah. bit of rights. And during that time, it took a lot more power. So it, it sort of started the, con the mon uh, constitutional monarchy thing. Yeah, right. Uh, because otherwise, right, okay. So you, because you, you had you had kings, and, but not a constitutional, not a constitution. So you had kings and then you had like um, a small, group of um you had a king and then you had a few other people that had some power and they were probably lords and there were certain things that the king needed them for mostly like raising taxes i think so for him to have money he needed to do that he needed to go through these people and that was like a tradition for you know going way back into the past that that had gone on um there's this thing called Magna Carta, which is part of that. Mm. Like, Magna Carta just means big piece of paper. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Is and, that from that time? Yeah, that, so that's what first laid down that constitution kind of thing. Yeah, right, okay. But I mean, it's all very rudimentary. Like it's, it's like even when there was like, there was lots of upheaval but they never really people weren't really like let's get rid of the king and have everyone vote like it you know it was sort of early struggles anyway then the idea came up again in the um french revolution um this is just i'm just outlining what this guy suggests in, the, in his book he talks about the really interesting thing is so the french revolution comes along and it's like the king is gone and then power is taken is taken in the hands of other people. Um, it's but then what really quickly happens is it becomes way more repressive than under the king, um, because yeah, it's called the white terror, and all kinds of people are um, guillotined, like more people are executed than ever before in history, and it's much worse than you had under a monarchy. Who, who who was in control then? Was it like, uh, was it just the people who, like, was it the rebel group that had risen up and killed Yeah, the, kind of, yeah. Royalty? Yeah. And that, did they have a, did, did they have a, like a, an, like a philosophical underpinning name or anything like yes, that? Yes, they yeah. did, yeah. Who is that? I want to say Montesquieu. No, it's Robespierre, I think. Robespierre? I'm getting confused. One of the, the actual revolutionaries was called Robespierre. Uh, what's his name? Um, one of the one of the sort of insidious ideas, anyway, that came from this philosopher. I can't his name. I can't remember. Um, was called the general will, right? And it was mm -hmm. supposed to be like he had outlined the stuff. And this this is what often happens. It happens with the Nazis too. Someone outlines a philosophy. It can be kind of 
innocuous, like they're just talking about ideas and then, uh, you know, a regime comes in like that and starts to implement it. And it's like, it means people are killed, you know? So mm. the general will was like um, this sort of mystical idea that the people, like the true ruler who's sort of charismatic will, you know, imp you know, implement yeah. the will of the people. And that's, and that's interesting. That's kind of like a replacement for acting on God's behalf right yeah. it's like i'm i'm doing this because this is what everybody wants yeah 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 well it was it was like it's not even it did it even could even be something that a lot of people didn't actually say they wanted it was more like the general will was this mystical thing of like you're forcing them to be free like we're forcing them to sort of you know do what they truly need sort of thing so it was completely unbounded and therefore totally dangerous because if somebody said we're acting on the general will there was nothing anyone could do to stop them sort of thing sure and it i mean and and it, it has the same kind of feedback it's the same thing today right like don't question the, the like as, as in mm -hmm. um you if you can get enough people to trust that you're acting on behalf of the people and it's the right thing to do then I don't know what that's called that that mechanism whereby then you quash anyone who sort of questions that then right mm -hmm. like you, well, today you would be populism i mean the the populists they claim to be acting on the behalf of the true will of the people over against the elites who they say is everyone that disagrees with them i mean okay absolutely absolutely but it's it's been used forever and certainly like all of in, in our lifetime you know like um uh, and I guess there's always another, what I'm thinking about is like the Vietnam War, okay? Like in how, how illegal uh, and dangerous and demonized it was to question that, right? Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, popularism in right now in our time. Uh, but this notion where you get people like the, I guess, kind of the mob mentality to mm -hmm. support and reinforce an idea. That's a, that's a powerful mechanism in societal movement and control of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a great, if I can, yeah. Like All right, yeah. connect at that exact point. Um, John Stuart Mill, this is like, this is sort of the guy, I'd always heard the name, I never knew anything about him, he was sort of the guy in liberalism, because he, like, post the, um, so he was a contemporary, he saw, you know, the, the French Revolution happening, um, everyone did in Europe, it was, you know, horrifying to, you know, Europe, because it was, first of all, the kings were gone, so monarchs were, like, terrified it was going to happen in their own countries, but of course, also then what came after was like terrible. So everyone was sort of like, suddenly this isn't a good idea. Um, so he reflected on all of that stuff, but also very interestingly, he just was a, a bit different. Like he'd been brought up in this, as he'd been brought up with this really strict education. Like he, he was, I don't know, reading Greek when he was five, this sort of stuff. And at, a, at like, when he was 18 or 19, he had, a, he had a nervous breakdown. And then he sort of started to put the pieces back together by um, 
kind of rejecting some of the things he'd learned as a as a child and he'd been brought up like very strictly and he started to like get used to uh, get into poetry and sort of the the non-intellectual side of life and this was really profound for him and then he met this woman and she was married and I should know her name that would be very feminist of me to know it um she was actually super important for his development, intellectual development. So they, they, they talked together and whatever, but they lived this unconventional life because she was married and they were essentially together, but that couldn't happen. What, what he started writing down and talking about was that, um, so you've got the freedom from the state, which was this sort of traditional liberal thing where you know, leave us alone. We, we just want to do what we want. And then you remove power from the monarch. Um, but then you have what happened in France, which is, which is a complete disaster where the people take power and they become much more repressive before than before. Mm -hmm. So he says that the, that, that is actually worse. And what we need to be free of is not just state power, but we need um, individuals need to be free of control from others around them, from society mm. around them. And the reason is just partly just because um, we don't even always know what we ourselves want. So we shouldn't have others telling us what we want. Mm -hmm. So, it, I mean, it's like cool. the, the fascinating thing with him is he just, he just put this together as a, as a or he and she together, this team um, as like a, you know, they created an ideal where there wasn't one before right so they <laughs> they put something in words in, and they argued for it really you know powerfully so that's why he's sort of remembered as one of the central guys of, of liberalism so it's like yes out no state control but also this idea that um like there has to be a bound a, a boundary around the individual and that has to come down to um that, that there has to be space where I can do what I want. This is a central sort of liberal thing too, right? Like mm. I, the, state, the state or other people can come this far and mm -hmm. can tell me what to do in that far. And then there's a part of me where I'm free. Mm. And he, he also came up with the, the harm principle. So this is what they put together. They said, I can do what I want if it doesn't harm anyone else. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they talked about it in detail and it wasn't just this like dumb thing they said, like they really went down into how it can be applied and stuff. Cause it's really not easy. There's, you know, as soon as you say it, there's another question, what is harm? Mm -hmm. And like, is it harmful if, you know, um, if you take drugs, well, it could be because it could harm others, you know, like it's, 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 it's room, there's room for debate. Mm. Um, he even, this is really interesting because what happened earlier this year with um, Trump, <clears throat> he said, um, they said this, this particular example, they said like, I think it was like, if you had a, a mob in front, like someone can criticize, let's say, I don't I can't remember the exact example, let's say let, someone could criticize the, the tea industry for their high prices um, but it's totally different if there's a mob all standing around this like tea magnet's house and they're all like shouting and what bang for blood and you start to give the same speech. So like context can be that that it could be considered harm then if you're if you've got a, a mob waiting there to attack someone. Very mm -hmm. interesting because it's even like this year with, you know, 
that's that, that was sort of the mm. debate. Did did Trump, you know, did he? I mean, he didn't directly say to them, "Go and you know, go and shoot people and stuff." But there, there's a context. The message is there in the context. Uh, what happened with that? Is he on trial with that or anything? I don't, well, he didn't use it all. He didn't get um, impeached. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. There was an impeachment, second impeachment. Okay. Cool. Well, I I like uh, John and whoever uh, his unknown female <laughs> <laughs> companion was as the parents of liberalism. Then, yeah, because those yeah, are. Yeah, I think one thing that I really liked about the book um, is there was him, but there was another guy, a French guy who he was actually like super rich and stuff and really eccentric and had all these millions of affairs with women and just kind of a crazy guy. And he was an, another guy who was central to John Stuart Mill, like an influence. And he just, he wasn't that political or whatever, but he was basically just saying, just leave me alone and let me do what I want. And that should be a central premise to everything. Just leave people alone and let them, and it, it's just interesting because the personalities sometimes that were writing about liberalism were just weird people, you know, they were just, mm. just kind of these freaks who were like, leave me alone because I, mm. I want to do what I want to do. And that is very, I find that very fascinating because it's such a, like liberalism is so influential. It's such an iron law almost. And it sort of determines so much of how the entire world works now. And it came down to sort of freaks, you know, Mm. I um, I really identify with that. Uh, I just that. I mean, I, I think I'm rich in in family and community and, and friendships. That just guides me so much that I just want my own space. I just want to be left alone. That's that's kind of. I hunger for that so much and I do feel like a bit of a freak for it. Um, Harriet was uh, uh, John's partner, Harriet Taylor Mill. Harriet Taylor, yeah. We better include that. Yeah, yeah, I just remembered. <laughs> no, I thought we, we, we should include it if this is, uh, if some people are getting educated uh, by mm -hmm. this podcast we she was a philosopher and women's rights advocate as well mm -hmm. so. yeah yeah they're, they're really um they were kind of like early feminists interesting um that partnership the way you describe it reminds me of um and this is i can't think of his partner either jean-paul Sartre and um his uh very feminist um she's awesome yeah she's awesome uh, let me see if I can remember this in a similar way. Uh, Simone uh, de Beauvoir, yeah. Because yeah. she, she was quite a, like a canon feminist person too, I believe. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. I read a lot about them a long time ago and I remember sort of falling in love with both of them a bit. I think that Jean-Paul Sartre was a bit of a freak too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but I get, you need to be, right? Like, I mean, by definition, you are if you're questioning what everybody else takes for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
I mean, he's like, he was in, in prison. He was in prison by the Nazis. Um, and that was a big thing for him because he was writing about freedom. Jean-Paul Sartre. Like, huh? Sartre or John? Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Cool. I didn't even know that. Um, uh, Nick, this is awesome. You uh, have brought a whole lot here. Uh, this is this is what I'm thinking. These are my thoughts as of right now in this moment. Uh, first of all, Angel's got a prac today, and I want to spend a little bit of time with her and have some breakfast with her. It's ten to seven now, and she'll be at the hospital at eight. So I want to wrap up, and I'm sorry to do that because this has been a awesome conversation. Um, I would like to have more conversations like this with you because I love talking to you about this stuff and I, I love your knowledge of it and I love the way that you present it. Um, and I've said this before, how you present kind of these broad driving philosophical things and then give them a contemporary context and go, well, the world is like this because of these philosophical mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah, and I think you've done that incredibly with uh, John Stuart Mill today. That's awesome. I had no idea of that. Um, I had also heard the name, but had no knowledge of who that person was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I want to release, I, I think what I want to do, I want to call it Philosophy Hour with Nick Randall, and then it'll also have another title. And this one I think I want to call it Brief History of Liberalism. Mm-hmm. Does right. that'll, that'll sound agreeable? Yeah, that sounds fun. And so the other thing, the way I've been splicing these is I, which I generally have a talk for a while with the person and then I'm like, all right, let's start now. And I say, welcome to the podcast. And then I've been splicing that first part in at the end after a gap, which I just think feels nice because if you've listened to it and you enjoyed it, maybe you want to listen to some more. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, I'll need to do this one differently because we haven't said that at any point. So I'm going to do the intro now and I'll actually put that at the beginning. Okay. So here we go with the intro. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Unfinished Cubby podcast. With me today is my brother, Nick Randall, who is a philosopher and whom I love speaking with about all kinds of philosophy. Today we're talking a little bit about John Stuart Mill and liberalism and uh, it's a a brief conversation but an interesting one and one of many to come. Nick, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be here. All right, let's just pause and then perhaps flow into some other conversation.